0: <laughs> all right, you doing all right? The big question is, am I doing all right? I think so. I got so much I want to share with you. It's just kind of all exciting, but uh, hopefully I can get it all organized. Okay. Well, a couple things going on today. One is, you know, as you know, uh, our our nation is uh, still in a lot of turmoil and strife regarding the the uh, presidential election results, and, and I am praying for our president-elect, and I hope you are, and I'm praying for the healing of our nation, and uh, I'm praying for the protection of those who are most vulnerable, who feel uh, on the outside of, uh, of the coming administration. And I believe that, um, well, I mean, I, I do frankly believe that we need to accept the results of the election but we really need to pray for the leaders of our, of our nation. We should always do that, not just because of, you know, who won or anything. We, we always are, are told to do that. In fact, that's a scriptural admonition, that we would pray for our leaders. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 and 2, it says this, and I'm going to read from the NLT, New Living Translation, but it says this, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people, Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. That's a good counsel, isn't it? Pray for all people, intercede on their behalf, give thanks for them. Ask God to help them. And then specifically about leadership. Pray, for, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceable, peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. I know the NIV says holiness, which is a good translation as well, but I want you to think about this. Pray for kings and all who are in authority, so that we can live peaceful lives in our nation, uh, and we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. I know this is one of the concerns right now, is that all people, all kinds of people, can live in our nation with safety and with dignity. And there's been so much commentary about uh, post-election results and the protests uh, regarding that and... Uh, people reeling and, you know, all kinds of turmoil. I want to share with you one of the best things I've heard in the last uh, two weeks, and it's from the TNT uh, sportscaster, Ernie Johnson. And I don't know, many of you probably already saw what he said uh, in response to the, the election. He made these remarks two days after the election, and I want you to see this. Donald Trump, President Obama. I was hopeful and I was encouraged that there will be a difference between the President. you yeah. Well, I don't know how you felt about that. I, I was really inspired by that, that on national television and, and uh, it, this man, Ernie, Ernie Johnson, was uh, taking a stand not only for his faith, but I, I just felt like he was offering some words that are wise and sensible and sensitive and uh, hopefully nonpartisan, but also really wanting to see the healing of our country, but affirming, too, that we don't place our, our hope and our faith in our country, or our political process, or any particular political party, or any particular c- political candidate, but that uh, we know the one who's on the throne, and his name is Jesus. And he was on the throne before November 8th, and he's still on the throne now, and uh, we look to him. But we look to him, and I, I appreciate also another thing that Ernie Johnson said was that this is a time to look at ourselves. We, you know, There's so much about you know this candidate or that candidate, and and uh, exalting or, or criticizing different personalities. Uh, but this is a time to look at ourselves, too. You know, what, what, are we becoming better people, better men and women and better citizens and better models of the kind of people that we want our children to grow to become? And those of us that are followers of Jesus, are we becoming better Christians, more Christ-like in our words, in our behavior, in our uh, willingness to be graceful people, but also to speak the truth and to speak the truth in love. And uh, today we come to the, actually the conclusion of this series we've been doing about loving as Jesus loves. We're going to kind of stay with this idea and this theme of loving as Jesus loves throughout the, the next year, 2017. But we've been specifically directing these, these messages over the last 12 weeks on this theme of loving as Jesus loves. And today I want us to focus on love cares for people's needs. Love cares for people's needs. And uh, let me offer a word of prayer. Lord, thank you that you are on the throne and that although we don't understand much of what happens and uh, sometimes we're unhappy about what happens, uh, we do affirm, Lord, that you are the king of kings, uh, you're on the throne, you're the Lord of lords. And uh, those of us who follow you and who name your name, the name of Jesus, uh, we submit to you, Lord, and we follow you. And we pray that you would help us to be the kind of people that would be pleasing in your sight, and to say the kinds of things that would be honoring to you, and that we might live in such a way that you would be revealed to a watching, hurting, strife-torn world. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) Amen. Okay, I want to begin our message today actually with the passage that I mentioned last week, and it's from Matthew 9, uh, verses 35 to 38. And the reason I want to go back to this is because this is really about the mission of Jesus. It's Matthew 9, 35 to 38. It's about the mission of Jesus, and here's what it says. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And, you know, I mentioned this last week, but I think in verse 35, there's sort of this summary of Jesus' ministry. And it says Jesus was uh, doing three things. he was He was teaching the Bible. He was teaching in the synagogues with the religious folks. So he taught the Bible, uh, for them, they just had the Old Testament. Now we have the Old Testament and the New Testament completed. But Jesus was teaching the, the Scriptures, the Word of God. He was also sharing the good news. The You know the word good news and gospel. It's the same word, right? He was sharing the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And that's the news that God is reigning, and, and He has, in Jesus now, uh, brought in a new era of His salvation history. That now we could say the King has landed on this Uh, what is sometimes hostile enemy territory. So much of the world has been really claimed and ruled by the evil one, by Satan. And now Jesus has landed on this earth with the incarnation. It's why we celebrate Christmas. And Jesus has landed on this earth as the king. And he's beginning to reclaim some of that territory that Satan has occupied. And he's beginning to reclaim it for himself. So the kingdom of God is really the rule and the reign of Christ. Wherever people come to him and submit to him, and follow His will, and accept His lordship over their lives, there is the kingdom of God. It's not so much a place as it is, it's just the the realm of God's rule, and where people submit to His rule and follow His rule, there is the kingdom. And Jesus said a lot of things about the kingdom. In fact, it was the most common theme in His teaching. And one of the things He said is um, that the kingdom of God is among us when Jesus is among us, and that we're to seek the kingdom, and we're to seek to advance the kingdom. Now, uh, this passage, Matthew 9, it also goes on to say, it says Jesus taught the Bible, he shared the gospel, but also he helped the hurting. And it says he was healing every disease and sickness. And he was helping the hurting, and so must we, because love cares for people's needs. Love cares for people's needs. One of the things I want you to see here, and it's about the growth of compassion, it says when Jesus saw the people, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I think that compassion often begins with this seeing. Right? Every day we pass you know, dozens, maybe hundreds of people. Uh, but sometimes we just need to see people. Like when Peter and John were going up the steps of the temple and they saw the, the lame man that needed to be healed. And Peter looked at him and he said to the man, Look at us. And then he healed him in the name of Jesus Christ. So when we see people for who they are, we need to see people the way Jesus sees them. You know, with all their worth and value and their dignity that they're people made in the image of God, even if they don't know God or believe in Him, we need to see people the way Jesus sees them, with all their worth and value and dignity, but also with all their pain and their brokenness. And we're realistic about that as well. We need to see people. Like in Jubilee Reach, they often say, well, we conduct our mission and this is what we do. We go among people and we listen, we love, and we learn. We don't just come as, as saviors, and we don't come with condescending superiority to say, oh, let me, let me you know, help you. But first we come and we just respect people. We listen, try to understand who they are, where they're at, how they're hurting, what they need. We love them, and we learn. And we come from this posture of wanting to serve people, and we come from a posture of empathy. Listen, love, and learn in order to come alongside people. Uh, I, I like the way uh, Jubilee says, in order to give them a hand up, not a hand out. It's it's not just something. It's not paternalism. It's help the hurting in a way that respects them, and that preserves their dignity. And then in verse thirty-seven, Jesus says this. He said to his disciples, "The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few." So here we see Jesus. He's very active in ministry. He's already gathered some disciples, and he's going to gather some more. And he's he's teaching the word. He's proclaiming the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. He's helping the herding. And then he says to his disciples, his followers, he says, you know, there's a lot of need here. Not only that, there's a lot of opportunity here. But there's a problem. Not enough people in the game. right? Not enough people involved. Not enough people rolling up their sleeves in order to join me in this mission and serve. And so then Jesus says in verse 38, uh, here's what we do, gang. We begin with prayer. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. See, there's a problem. Too, many, too few people answering the call. Too few people taking up the cause of Jesus. Too few people joining Jesus in his work. And so he says, begin with prayer. Ask God to raise up people, to send workers out into the harvest. Now, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but when we read our Bibles in English... You know how there's all those chapter divisions and verse divisions? And, and that's really helpful so that we can, you know, direct people. We can say turn to chapter 9 and uh, turn to chapter 10 and all that. But, but you do know, don't you, that all those chapter divisions and verse divisions were added uh, hundreds of years after the New Testament was written. It was, I think they were written, uh, those were added about a thousand years after the New Testament. So they're added for our benefit, to help us in our reading. However, uh, there's nothing divinely inspired about those chapter divisions. I want you to notice what happened. At the end of chapter 9, Matthew 9, 38, Jesus says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Okay, so far, so good. And then in the very next verse, it happens to be chapter 10, verse 1, but just disregard the chapter division. In the very next verse, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now, you get what just happened? First of all, Jesus is ministering and he's modeling good ministry, right? He's teaching the word of God. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He's helping the hurting. And then he, you know, he has compassion on the people. They're harassed. They're helpless. Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says to his disciples, you know what? A lot more need here. We need more people in the game. We need people who would take up their cross and follow me and lay down their lives for me and join me in my mission but there aren't enough people. And then he says, you know what you do? Pray about it. Pray that God will raise up people. So I imagine these disciples, oh, Lord, please raise up someone. Lord, please send someone. Please stir in someone's heart. And then after they pray a while, Jesus says, you know what? It's you. <laughs> it's you. Uh, and so hopefully they would have got that when they prayed, but if, in case they didn't, it says Jesus called them to himself and he gave them authority. Now, to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And they go out now with his authority, with his power, in his name, uh, with his mission, to fulfill his mission. Hopefully, they've also caught something else from Jesus, and that's the compassion of Jesus. Because love helps hurting people. Love cares for people's needs. Okay? So... I want you to think about this. A lot of us, uh, we we learned the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And when Jesus gave the gave us the Lord's Prayer, it's recorded for us in Matthew six, um, verses nine to thirteen. But when Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, I don't think He gave it to us just so we can just recite it by rote and you know repeat it. Although I I think that's good and and you know it's a good spiritual practice. But I want you to think about the meaning of those opening words. This then is how you should pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That means may your name be honored. It's like before we're going to ask him to, you know, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. uh, Before that, we focus on God. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. Hallowed be your name, right? It's on focusing on him and wanting him to be uh, honored and uplifted and exalted. And then he says, and then the first request in the, in the Lord's Prayer is this. It's not for, you know, my needs or even my forgiveness or even my ministry. The first request is, your kingdom come, your will be done. And uh, in, the, in the common English Bible, it says this, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Now, I want you to think about this. If you've uh, given your life to Jesus and you've received eternal life from Him, we, we say, you know, when we die, we're going to go to heaven, right? When, when a loved one who's in the Lord dies, we say they are now in a better place. And, and, and that's all good and that's all true, but, but there's a, something about heaven that we need to understand f- from a New Testament perspective. Let me read you a little bit from, from a book called uh, Bringing Heaven to Earth. God is engaged in making our world more like his kingdom in heaven. Isn't that what the prayer is, right? Uh, Thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it already is being done in heaven, right? In heaven, that's where God's kingdom reigns and rules supreme, and now we want that kingdom to be manifested more on this earth. So it's really a prayer about bringing the kingdom to the earth. It's about bringing heaven to earth, not earth to heaven. God is engaged in making our world more like His kingdom in heaven. God is restoring all things, and we are called to engage this world rather than to escape from it. In the book of Revelation, when you get near the end of the book of Revelation, the heavenly city of Jerusalem does not stay in heaven, but rather the new Jerusalem comes down to earth. And Jesus taught His disciples to ask for your will to come on earth as it is in heaven. You with me on this? Let me read you a little bit more from this book called, uh, called Bringing Heaven to Earth. Contrary to being about escaping this world, the Christian view of heaven is that we would be the kinds of people doing the kinds of things that bring more of heaven, more of the will of God to the area of the world that we are in, in the times that we live in. Is that making sense? This prayer, you know, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a prayer for heaven to be manifest more on this earth. It's a prayer for the kingdom of God uh, to be revealed and to be expressed and to be expanded here on this earth. We're to participate in the work of God in what God is doing to make our world more like his kingdom. Sometimes we say it this way. We say our task as a church is to make Jesus visible. You know, uh, 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 the Bible says that the church is the body of Christ, right? He is the head, and we are the body. Uh, Jesus is not physically here, and people can't physically see him, but he is on this earth, uh, uh, and his body is here on this earth, and it's you and me. It's the community of faith. It's, it's the, the church of Jesus Christ. We are his body. So our, really what the church is is the presence of Jesus in the world. People can't see him, but they can see his body, right? And so our task really is to make Jesus visible. It's to, to take the, the, the Jesus who's invisible to people and to make him visible, right? So we, we follow after him. We model our lives after his. We take up our cross. We deny ourselves. We follow him. Uh, we want to love as he loves, live as he lives, lead as he leads, Forgive as he forgives. Accept one another as God in Christ has accepted us. Forgive as we've been forgiven. We want to make Jesus visible. So here's the deal. We're here to participate in the work that God is doing to make our world more like his kingdom. And we make Jesus visible, you know what, primarily two ways. We make Jesus visible by declaring his message, by declaring the good news, and we make Jesus visible by demonstrating good deeds. Right? We make Jesus visible by declaring his message, sharing his word, communicating the gospel, and we make Jesus visible by demonstrating good deeds. Now, we did receive a, a letter from uh, Jubilee Reach uh, this week, and, and we you know we get a letter from Jubilee Reach every month because our church regularly supports Jubilee Reach. Uh, But I want to read you part of it because I get to read these these kind of letters all the time, and uh, I want you to hear part of it. Thank you for your church's recent gift to Jubilee Reach. Now, this is before we gave the the $30,000 for the site coach for this year, but this was an investment of $8,000 that came from last year's Advent Conspiracy offering. Uh, Your investment of $8,000 designated for community care is vitally important and appreciated. As we celebrate our 10th anniversary... We look with appreciation to the generosity of all our investors over the past decade. Uh, Jubilee Reach just turned 10 years old uh, recently. Generous support from Lighthouse Christian Church has helped Jubilee Reach continue our mission of ensuring that every student is known and valued. They're talking about every student in the Bellevue School District. Through interaction with students in classrooms, at lunch, during recess, and through after-school athletics and activities, our site coaches make meaningful connections with students. Our model is using love to build relationships and earn trust, listen intently to hear the deeper needs, and learn by collaborating to create adaptive solutions to challenges inhibiting a student's social, emotional, and academic growth. Ultimately, we build relationships and earn trust, sustaining the student's well-being and strengthening their families and our community. Our 10 years of service in the Bellevue School District is possible thanks to supportive churches like yours. So way to go. Thank you, thank you, folks, for your support of Jubilee Reach and your support of Lighthouse and for enabling our partnership with great organizations uh, like that. Now what I want us to see is that that's just one way that love cares for people's needs. You know how Jubilee Reach started? It didn't start as a nonprofit organization. It started just from people from one church, Bellevue Presbyterian Church, who wanted to help people and reach out to some of the needs in the Lake Hills community. And as they did that and as they served the community, it eventually grew to the point where it needed to become a separate nonprofit organization, and that's when Jubilee Reach was born a little bit over 10 years ago. But I'm just thinking that this is true with a lot of things in, in the work of God. There's small beginnings, and God is at work, and then sometimes you get to find out what He's doing, and you just want to join what He's doing. And that's what happened with Lighthouse. You know, uh, Jubilee Reach was just a, a kind of a, it was a, a growing organization, but it was still a much smaller organization. And, uh, you know, 10 years ago it started, and then I think it was about, I can't remember exactly, seven or eight years ago that Lighthouse got involved. And they told us that other than Belle, Bellevue Press, which was their founding church, uh, we were the first church to partner with them. And so we've had this long partnership now doing, you know, a Jubilee Service Day every every year in August and uh, we've grown in our you know, commitment to Phantom Lake Elementary and to this area and supported it in a lot of ways. But I just want you to think about this. This is not just like, oh, a bunch of Christians want to do something good or look good or you know, try to impress people. This is about love. Loving as Jesus loves means we would care about people's needs. That we would, like Jesus, see people and then have compassion on them as we see where they're hurting and where we can help. And in the places of need... God is probably already at work, but we need to find out what he's doing and then join him there. Okay? So that's kind of what I want to talk about today. And I want us to look at some of the passages that you might have studied in your Bible study this week. Uh, Let's look to Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. How many of you in your your Bible study group studied this passage? Okay, some of you. Uh, Look at this. This is a wonderful passage. Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, and neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl to hide it, right, to, to quench the light. Instead, they put it on its stand, And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus is saying a couple things here. He says, well, first of all, he says, you are the salt of the earth. And if you think about that, um, you know, we don't want to be called salty. Like, oh, you're so salty. Why are you so salty? But um, there's a few things I think about salt. And, And it's a good question. What does Jesus mean when he says, you're the salt of the earth? Doesn't mean you're supposed to be grouchy and a salty person, but you know, a couple things. One is salt preserves, right? You know, and this was a day when there was no refrigerators or you know, f- freezers and all of that, right? So uh, they had to preserve meat, and often they would rub salt into it to preserve it. We still do that. We call it like beef jerky, right? Uh, so salt preserves. It prevents decay. And I think Jesus is saying, perhaps, this is one of the reasons I put my people in this world is because there's a lot that's deteriorating and decaying and unraveling, and there's increasing strife, and hatred, and bitterness. There's all kinds of sinful and addictive behavior that's, that's ruining people's lives, and their relationships, and their families. And I'm going to put you in there. You be the salt. You be the preservative. You prevent decay. And so that's a good thing. He says, don't lose your saltiness. There's a certain kind of good saltiness that's going to preserve this world and prevent decay. Another thing about salt is salt flavors, right? Makes things taste better. You don't want to use too much, right? Okay. But salt can take something that's bland and make it better. So that's another thing about salt. Salt can take something and make it better. And I think, again, Jesus puts his people in the world. He says, you're the salt of the earth. You can preserve and you can make things better. And I'm not sure if Jesus meant this. It's hard to know. But there's another thing about salt, and we see this on airplanes that uh, they give you those salty peanuts because they want you to drink more or maybe even buy some of the liquor that they're selling. But salt makes people thirsty, right? And I don't know if you thought about this, that if we really live this kind of life that's uh, distinct for the Lord, grace plus truth, love helps people in their need, love is not self-serving, it's patient and kind. If we really live this life One of the things that will happen is that we can make people thirsty. Thirsty for something different than what they know and what they're experiencing, right? We want to make people thirsty for Jesus. We want to live in such a way, uh, Jesus says here, you live in such a way that people would see your good deeds and as a result of seeing your good deeds, they would glorify your Father in heaven. There is something about the Christian life Even in in the political turmoil that we live in now, uh, we can be a third way. We can say, you know, that it's not the the salvation of the world that one guy got elected. It's not the defeat of the world. Even if if Hillary Clinton had won, that wouldn't be the salvation of the world either. We don't place our hope in that. But we're going to say, well, whoever is elected, uh, we're going to pray for them. And we're going to pray that they, they, they lead well, right, with wisdom and with compassion and with justice And uh, we're going to be good citizens, and and yet we're also going to have the courage and boldness to speak God's truth into the systems and the authorities of our world whenever they violate uh, God's standards and God's values. And so we can live in such a way that maybe makes people thirsty, thirsty for Jesus. Salt makes things better. And, of course, we know what light does, right? Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. You're also the light of the world. Light makes things brighter, right? There's a lot of darkness and ignorance around but Jesus says we're here to make things better and to make things brighter because so much is decaying and there's so much darkness all around. And if we do this rightly and if we do this well, then it's going to point people to Jesus Jesus, and that God will get the glory. We're going to give, God, uh, give people a glimpse of what God is like when we care for people in their needs. So I told you that story about what happened with us recently in China when we were there in October last, I guess that was last month, right? And uh, so, one of the needs that came up was this guy who who we had, you know, he had seen him come to Christ a few years ago. And the way he came to Christ was he had a very grave illness and he was in the hospital. And a, a Christian girl started visiting him. She didn't really even know him. She just started visiting him, caring for him. And through her and some other Christians, he came to know Jesus. And I had the chance to baptize him on one of my trips there a few years ago. Uh, but uh, this, this guy, his name is Lincoln, uh, when we were there last month, we found out his sister has the same disease. It's a very serious disease. It's genetic. Their father had died from that illness. Uh, Lincoln was very ill with it, but he got healed, and now his sister was in the hospital needing a, the s- same kind of surgery that he had had a few years before, but the family had no money for it. And so some of us from Lighthouse, uh, people that were over there at the time, you know, overseas, but uh, also contacting people here at Lighthouse who had been over to, on, on those previous mission trips, and many of them knew this guy. Uh, none of us knew his sister before, but just saying, hey, you know, there's a need here, and there's a family in need, and she needs the surgery. And the, in, in China, it's not like they'll just do the surgery. You've got to have the money or they won't do the surgery. And so they need the money, and people just took up this collection, and, and enough money was raised so that she was able to have the surgery. And... Uh, you know, we're hoping that she and, and her mother will come to know Jesus just like her brother does. You know? But it's, it's like, you've got you to gotta do this. You've you got to declare the good news of Jesus, but then you've got to demonstrate it through your good deeds as well. Now, I want to go on in this passage in Matthew 5. It's such a great passage, but I want to skip down to verses 38 to 48, where Jesus is going to say some pretty radical stuff. Matthew 5, verses 38 to 48. Here's what he says. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And that's a quote from the Old Testament. And it is true that the Old Testament says that, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. However, that's not encouraging vengeance. You know what that is? It's, limit, it's limiting uh, retribution. It's saying if somebody wrongs you, and you don't fly into a rage and kill them, but you can seek justice, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So it's really a limitation on the retribution. Uh, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But Jesus says this, Matthew five thirty nine. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You know, the Bible has had a, an incredible influence on the English language. And, and I saw just in these few verses uh, three sayings that we still use today, and they came from the Bible. They came from this passage, right? One is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You still hear that? Another one is turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. You know where that came from? Matthew 5, 39. <laughs> if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. And then the third expression that I think we still use sometimes in our society is to go the extra mile. You know where that came from? Matthew 5 verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And these three famous sayings come from this one passage and what's Jesus trying to say here? First of all, he's saying an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth is not the way God wants you to conduct your affairs and to uh, relate to people. Uh, I, I think it was Gandhi who said this. He said, an eye for an eye only makes the whole world blind. And, you know, he was not a Christian, but I think he learned that from Jesus, right? Jesus says, it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you something different. Don't resist an evil person. Basically, I think what Jesus is doing, he's saying, for his followers, we don't go through life just as reactors, you know, If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. If you're mean to me, I'll be mean to you, right? If you talk to me, I'll talk to you, right? If you care for my family, I'll care for your family. Now, that's the way of the world. We say, well, that's just common wisdom. That's just sensible living, and it is. But Jesus is calling us to something else. He's saying, don't let your surroundings and the people around you determine your behavior. If they misbehave, right, if they pluck out your eye or if they slap you or if they force you to you know, give over your shirt, that doesn't excuse you to engage in the same kind of malicious behavior. Now, does that remind you of anything that's happened in our country in the past month? You know, and all all the, you know, all the insulting and branding and vilifying and demonizing because, you know, people mistreated me, so the natural thing is I'm going to mistreat them. They call me a name, I'm going to call them a worse name, right? That's the way of the world. That's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus is calling us to something better. He says, Don't go through life just being a reactor, letting your behavior be determined by the misbehavior of those around you. Don't allow the misbehavior of others to cause you to misbehave. He says, Be a responder, be a person of love. If, if, they, if they ask you for something, be generous, give more. I think that's the point. He's saying, Don't be controlled by the way people relate to you. You relate differently, you be the salt. You be the light. You ever thought about this? To be the salt of the earth and the light of the world means we've got to be different, right? It means you've got to be different. And if you're different, then you become a difference maker. A lot of us, we don't want to be different. I'm from a culture where I was taught the nail that sticks up gets pounded down, right? So the one thing you don't want to do is stick up or stick out or stand up. You just want to blend in. You just want to conform I've got a lot of that in me from my culture and my family, my temperament and my birth order. You know what I've come to realize? You can't really follow Jesus faithfully if you're not willing to be different. right? If you always want to be well thought of by everybody and you always want to conform to those around you and you want to do what everybody else is doing and talk like everybody else is talking and react to political elections like everybody else is reacting, you won't be different. That's like the salt losing its saltiness. That's like the light being hidden under a bowl or a bushel, right? Uh, to be different, to follow Jesus, you've got to be different. And if you're different, then you have the opportunity to be a difference maker, an influencer. So I think that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, don't allow the world around you to squeeze you into its mold. And don't relate to people just to, based on, on how they relate to you. He says, you can be better. You can be different. Okay, then he goes on. Let, let's go on. Because in Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48, he kind of develops this further. He says, you've also heard, okay, you, are, you heard already an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and here's why that's not the best way to live. Then when you get down to Matthew 5, 43, he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, to me, I think, well, that sure makes a lot of sense. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's just conventional wisdom, right? That's just being politically correct. That's just being religiously acceptable. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And then again, Jesus wants to turn this whole thing upside down. He says, but I tell you, followers of mine, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, God's impartial. God is bipartisan. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? It's not hard to love people who love you. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, this word that's translated in our translations as "perfect," it's a word that means fullness. It's a word that means uh, be mature, be whole, uh, be mature, be complete—not perfect like the you know that whole Asian perfectionism. What's that A-minus on your report card? You know, it's it's not that. But it means to be whole and to be complete, uh, to to be able to to live and function the way God intended for you. Uh, and here in the context, it means to, to love people whether they love you or not and greet people whether they greet you or not. It's about building a bridge. And, and it's about building a bridge w- toward people that are, that are different than you. Let me read you something from uh, Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, I'm sorry, Luke, for, Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 Listen to these words from Jesus. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. Jesus is at a party, as he often was. And then he says this. Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That's a radical statement, isn't it? And it's not like, you know, it's wrong to, you know, have a party for your friends and your family and all of that. But you know what Jesus is saying? We have to be, uh, include those that are forgotten and those that are left out. We have to build bridges toward people that are different from us. I think one of the great challenges in our country right now is for people to build bridges toward people that are different than them. I want to read you a little bit from Jim Wallace, who's the editor of the Sojourner's uh, Journal, and the Sojourner, he's one of the leaders of the Sojourner, Sojourner's community in Washington, D.C. He wrote a, a piece after the election called Ministers of Reconciliation. I want to read you some of it as we close. Our nation needs to begin healing the deep wounds that this election cycle has caused and exacerbated. What wounds are these? Deep down, our country has developed a very large empathy deficit. Never heard that term, but it's a great term, isn't it? Our country has developed a very large empathy deficit. The unprecedented toxic, toxic how do you say that? Toxicity, toxicity of the rhetoric that came from Donald Trump emboldened many of his supporters to become vile and even violent in their characterizations of Hillary Clinton, her supporters, and anyone who didn't agree with them. There was a complete lack of empathy from the right wing for the feelings and motivations of anyone who did not support Trump or who belonged to one of the many groups that he insulted. Trump's campaign lifted a rock in American life, and all sorts of ugly things crawled out from beneath that rock and they denied the image of God in the people that they targeted. Okay, some of you getting mad. Listen to this. Many left-leaning partisans responded by demonizing not just Trump, but everyone who supported his candidacy, and often in similarly toxic language. Many people on the left make precisely this same mistake. They view all of Trump's supporters as ignorant racists and dismiss the real economic and social forces that left many working-class whites behind, alienated, and angry. These threads aren't mutually exclusive. Some Trump supporters were in fact racist, xenophobic, and misogynistic, at least in part as a result of their upbringing and social economic circumstances. That doesn't mean we can write these people off as irredeemable. That would be an especially problematic thing for Christians of all people, to believe about our fellow human beings. They're not irredeemable. And it certainly does not entitle us to belittle the image of God in them or to deny their basic humanity, even if we have seen them do exactly that to people whom we love and want to protect. Jesus commanded us to love our enemies, right? Matthew 5. And pray for those who persecute us. How can we demonstrate that love even toward Donald Trump and his most toxic followers? I believe it starts with empathy, right? He started that article saying, here's one of the big problems in our country. We have a huge, large empathy deficit. I believe it starts with empathy, which can only be accomplished through the forging of authentic relationships between people of different races, classes, genders, sexual orientations, and political views. And churches and other communities of faith have a key role to play in providing safe spaces for bringing together people who come from very different backgrounds or belief systems. And there's so much we could say about this, and we really should unpack it in some kind of other kind of form than this. But I, I love what he's saying, that it's in real relationships with real people that we learn love and we learn to express love. It's not hard to love people that love you and that are like you, but the challenge is to love people who are different from us, and then we have the opportunity to hear to understand, to listen, to love, to learn, and to hear their stories and to believe their stories. And when that happens, Jim Wallace goes on to say, when that happens, genuine empathy often follows. New conversations and relationships must lead to changing the policies and structures that oppress communities of color and the marginalized working class, whites who have become so angry. And basically, this is getting back to what we've talked about before, that Uh, Christ has called us to be his ambassadors, and Christ has called us to be ministers of reconciliation. And that's where the church can make a difference. I think that this is our opportunity. This is our chance to stand up and to reach out, because love cares for people, including people that are different, including people who disagree, and love cares for people Uh, at the end of this, Jim Wallace says, if we take that ministry seriously, this mission of reconciliation, if we take that ministry seriously, we can begin to heal the wounds of our terribly polarized society and follow the reign of God, the kingdom of God, a little closer in our world. Let's remember the part of the Lord's Prayer that many of us recite in church. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, pray with me, would you? Lord, you have called us to be different, not different just to be strange or weird or nonconformist. But you've called us to be different because we follow you. So, Lord, guard us from being conformed to the world around us, molded into the, the kind of speech and kind of language and kind of values of the world around us. And, Lord, help us increasingly to have the mind of Christ. Help us increasingly to have our our thoughts and our worldview and our values shaped by, by Scripture, by your word, by your eternal truth. And then, Lord, help us to stand strong, to have the courage to be different if it's different for your sake. Help us to become more like you, Jesus, and to love as you love. And as a community, as a family, Help us to love one another with the love that you have given to us and then to extend that love to the world around us so that they would see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. I, at this time, would like to invite the ushers to come to the front. Uh, Please pray with me uh, as we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord through our offering. Lord, as we have learned about all the ways that um, you have raised the bar for what it means to love. Lord, we're challenged and it can be a daunting task when we try to think about how we would do it on our own. But we know that because we have you, and we have the ability to love the way you love. It's because we have you, it's because you loved us first that we have the capacity to love. I pray that we would fix our eyes on the greatest act of love that you demonstrated on the cross, and from that place, in response, love this world as you would have us love it. Please receive these offerings to you and use it for your glory on this earth. In the name of Jesus Christ.